Hey everyone, I just wanted to take this time to let you all know some exciting news. This podcast now has a Patreon. There are so many stories that don't make it on each episode, as I like to try to keep each episode under 30 minutes. All these unreleased stories each week will be posted on the Patreon, and some week's episodes may also have an extended version, which will only be available on the Patreon. Head to the show notes below to subscribe for as little as $4.99 AUD a month, which is about 17 cents a day. That equates to about $3.18 US or $4.30 Canadian. Thanks everyone. and welcome to another episode. Now before we get into today's episode, I do want to put out a little trigger warning. Today's episode can get quite graphic and it does share a story of a young girl who was murdered. And this first story is from the subreddit Ghost Stories from Fourth Degree Night. I have been asked to post more stories from my time work as a crime scene cleanup. Back in the 1990s, we did this type of work, and in our area, we were one of the only couple companies with the experience of training to perform such tasks. When people asked me about my job back then, I would say that our job was to clean up nightmares. However, back then, I wouldn't really talk about all of this too much, because it was a hard thing to talk about. We would go in after investigation is complete and sterilize the scene not only for biological hazardous, but for visual, as if the family came back to the scene, we would make it look like as clean as possible and hardly any reminder of what happened. This particular story isn't really a ghost story, but one of those scenes that in my years of doing this was really messed up, sad, tragic, but like so many other scenes, there was, well, lack for better of explanation, a heavy sense of evil. This is why I'm telling the story. As nothing popped out at us, we didn't see shadows or hear anything out of the normal, but it was like walking into a nightmare, and the feeling of overwhelming sadness and dread affected myself and my other crew member. The crew member that went to this scene with me, he had been with me a long time. I was the supervisor, and since this wasn't particularly a big scene, It didn't require more crew members to complete the task. The call. If memory serves me right, we had just got back to our office and I was working on paperwork and my crew member were doing chores around the shop and we were all getting ready to call it a day, so it must have been around 5 p.m. We get a call that was going to dispatch us to a pretty suburban neighborhood about 15 miles away from a large city. For the family's privacy reasons, I will not disclose the city, dates, or names. The crime happened days or weeks prior. I forgot how much time had passed, but the investigators had completed doing their scene work and gathering evidence, 
and their job was complete. The house was pretty normal, ranch-style house, probably built in the 1960s. I remember the front of the house had a lot of football decorations, probably from the dad's favorite team. If you passed by this house, there was nothing remarkable about it. It wasn't fancy, it wasn't unkept, just a normal suburban family house in a pretty quiet looking neighborhood. Oftentimes, it happens that I would see news broadcasts and think to myself, I wonder if we will be getting called out to that murder scene. We mainly perform our services inside buildings. Sometimes we did our services out in front of the house as sometimes people travel as they are slowly dying and having a smear of blood leaving a trail of blood as a person is trying to escape. Well, we would clean that up too. This case was different. The entire house just looked really normal. Like imagining you wake up today and leave your front house frozen like that for days or weeks. When we arrived, we were met by who I think was an aunt of the family member who lived there. They were staying elsewhere since the murder. I did all the necessary paperwork with the aunt, just a form allowing us to enter and do the work and another form that was authorizing us to dispose of any soiled material that were of no significant value and the typical contact to where to invoice for our services. She didn't go into the house with us, but told us which room it was. We never pressured people to enter with us. Most of the time, seeing the scene is like reliving the nightmare all over again. We enter the house, removing the crime scene tape. And like I said, it was frozen in time to that night that the murder happened. I remember seeing a laundry basket full of clothes on the sofa, probably just washed and maybe the mom was going to fold them. Shoes by the front door, dirty dishes on the table, mail on the table, that kind of stuff. We walked down the hallway and the police had dusted for fingerprints so you see black smears all over the hallway and we enter the room. The room was that of a little girl maybe about eight to nine years old. Pink bed sheets on the bed with dried blood and white wooden headboards with splatters of blood that have gone past the headboards and splattered onto the walls as well. The blood had also dripped from the bed to a little small pool on the brown carpet. The police had dusted for fingerprints all along inside of the room. Most of the concentration of the fingerprints was around the bedroom window. The cleaning up of the black smudges took longer than cleaning up of the blood, as I assumed the police removed other things that had blood on it, such as maybe the comforter or blankets, but the mattress had the majority of the blood, so we bagged it and removed it for disposal. We did clean the headboard and wall. The police also removed a portion of the carpet maybe for some kind of evidence. So we just cut out and removed the rest. The entire time we were working in this room, I myself am overcome with such a feeling of sickness. I can't really describe it, but imagine just feeling like you need to leave the area. A mix of heaviness, evil sadness that twists you up into your stomach, almost to the point of feeling sick but more of a foreboding, like if something was still lingering there. 
I didn't get the sense from the rest of the house, but once you enter the room, it was unescapable. I was working on the window ledge, cleaning up and removing the dusting powder from it. My crew member is putting some trash in our truck, so I'm alone in there and I almost get the feeling that something is watching me, but more like something is feeding off my feelings. So I leave the room to get more cleaning rags and find my crew member sitting on the floor of the back of the truck with tears in his eyes. This is a guy who has been with me on some really messed up calls. And as far as the scene being graphic, it wasn't not like many of the other calls. I understand and let him be. I ask him if he needs to take more time. Just sit there and I'll be inside. I go back into the room and I am suddenly almost in tears too. I don't know why, but I look around the room, like really look at this little girl's room. I see her little clothes, some dolls, schoolwork, drawings she hung on the wall, and her dresser she had lined up her poly pockets all along. I am suddenly just standing there, almost shaking at this point not just from being sad about this little girl, but like I described above, a whole mix of stuff I forced myself to continue on. So I finish up cleaning the room and start in the hallway and outside of the room. I clean the doorknob and I see my crew member working inside the house. And he says that he's going to clean the outside of the bedroom window as the investigators had used the dusting on the outside as well. As I put some of our supplies back into the truck, I go around to the outside of the house and see my crew member standing there at the bedroom window, like in a trance, just staring inside the room. Almost like he's seeing something, but just silently standing there. I don't want to startle him, so I stand there, just looking at him. After what seems like a couple of minutes, I softly say his name and it shakes him out of this trance. He looks at me, but just turning his head, and his eyes are bloodshot red, and he just said, I'm sorry, what did you say? I just said, well, if you're finished up, I will take the final photos and we can lock it up. He just continues to spray and wipe as nothing happened. I get our camera and start taking the photos of our completed work. You see, we do this as proof of how we left the condition of the home, especially if we are left alone on the property. The crime. Apparently what happened was, in the middle of the night, some creep broke into the little girl's bedroom window. The police think he was looking to kidnap her, but she must either have cried out or fought him off her. So he took out a huge Bowie type knife and stabbed her to death. This all happened as the parents slept in the room next door and the other kid was all fast asleep. I believe he just walked out of the house and left. Later, as we were driving away, I asked my crew member about him standing at the window outside and if he was okay or needed to go home early. He just turned to me and said, I put my two feet in the same spot the murder stood just before he killed that girl. He was quiet for the rest of the day, and I did not talk about the house again. 
I did passively keep up with the investigation for the next week or so as it was in the news, but eventually I moved on to other scenes and crimes. Sometimes now, when someone will casually ask in conversation if I am religious, if I believe in spirits or something similar, I always say I do. Sometimes it's because I have seen the works of evil, and sometimes because I want to believe that there is hell, and guys like that will be burning for eternity. And this next story, also on ghost stories by the same author, Fourth Degree Night, is titled, The House That No One Wanted to Enter. I have posted other stories about my time doing trauma scene cleanup. I was asked to post another story. While not a typical ghost story in the normal sense, it was something of an oddity. Back then, I managed a crew that went into buildings where homicide, suicide, and many other ways people have died or was seriously injured that caused the need for our services. We would do our best to sterilize the environment, not just removing biohazardous, but making it so that it was visually sterilized. So that if anyone walked into the building, it would just look like a construction or remodel project. This particular call was during a stormy day, dark and gloomy, right of a scene of a scary movie that you can imagine. Off in the distance, the rumble of thunder, heavy rain and clouds could be heard. We get a dispatch call to the home on the hillsides of a neighborhood in a particular large city. For privacy reasons, I will not say to which city, but this area I was not too familiar with. Seemed like a really, really rich neighborhood in an area where you would expect wealthy individuals to live. The dispatch said that a representative was going to meet us on site to release the property to us. I believe the guy we met was an attorney or a real estate broker. He signed the paperwork, we walked inside, and he said anything that we needed to dispose of was fine. He gave me his fax number and said just fax the invoice to our services and any paperwork and his office will take care of everything we need. He handed us the keys and said just lock the door from the inside then mail the keys back when we are done. My crew starts setting up, suiting up, and getting ready to do what needs to be done. I go back out to my truck and start to get ready. We normally used to take photos of before and after. Prior to this, we used to use old Polaroid instant cameras, but we switched to 35mm film cameras for quality. We did this not for taking photos of gore, but documentation and to cover our butts as we had one case where our crew was accused of theft. It turned out not to be true and that the missing item was taken by a family member before we even arrived. The house. Well, like I said, it was a very wealthy neighborhood and the hillsides of a very rich neighborhood. It looked well kept from the outside and I remember the driveway was one of those that you can drive in on one side and it looped around back to the street like a U-shape. But it swerved as if it went up into the house. Not sure if you can picture that in your head, but it was a long driveway. It was very large, three-story home, which was on a hillside to enter the house in the middle level. There was one level down and one level up. Inside, my crew was a little confused. 
we were used to seeing fresh blood and fresh damages like bullet holes, broken doors, and typical murder scene. Yes, this house was a scene of a murder. I never got the information on who was murdered or how many deaths. The representative of the house didn't state anything. It was strictly business sign here. Send me the invoice and that's that. Since he already stated that it was okay to dispose of anything we needed and just make an inventory, there was no need to go into details about anything else really. My crew eventually enters the master bedroom and you could tell this is where it happened. The very odd thing was it wasn't a new crime scene. It probably happened about a decade or more ago. My crew consisted of three crew members and myself. Two of them started getting the creeps almost immediately. They were new crew members, so it kind of was expected that the new guys get creeped out at the scenes. I noticed they did whatever they could to stay out of the house. They ran back to our trucks in the stormy weather to take trash or to get to supplies. Having done this job for more than six years at this point, I know the scene wasn't fresh. The dried blood had almost turned black. But what really stuck out was the age of everything inside the home. It was half emptied, like most of the furniture that you would expect to be there wasn't in that bedroom. It was like they left it sometime in the late 1970s or the early 1980s. I remember thinking how old everything looked in contrast to the outside. The outside looked like it was very well kept, but inside there was a layer of dust and some areas had cobwebs like you would see in some creepy movie. We noticed that the blood may have leaked into the floor below, so we went to expect where the blood had pulled up at one time to see if it went through to the downstairs. We located a dark spot on the ceiling below the master bedroom. The room below was like a den slash bar area. I told my crew we are going to have to remove all the carpet in the master bedroom and maybe the subfloor and clean the studs and remove the drywall and insulation in the ceiling below. We also noticed that it had leaked down to the floor in the den below, so we removed a portion of the wood flooring below as well. During our work, a car drove up the driveway and was flashing its lights to us. I went out thinking that it might be a representative. I go outside to meet this individual with the car and see what he wanted. I go out and notice it's not the same guy, but an older gentleman, probably in his 70s, in a very nice Mercedes. Almost immediately, he starts yelling at me. What the hell are you doing here? I let him finish and try my best to explain why we are here. I told him I can show him the dispatch paper and the signature, but that if he wanted to call the police, I would wait here with him for them to arrive and check us out. I think by me saying this, that put him at ease. He glanced at the paper and said something like, why are you here today? Why now? I tell him I can't really go into details, but I just say that we are there to clean up after an accident. He looks at me confused. He said that the house has been empty for many, many years. I told him, well, we were called out to clean up and remove any damages. 
He looked at me very seriously and said, no one has stepped foot in that house in years. I told him, well, maybe it happened years ago and just now is getting sorted. I knew he knew what I was trying to say. He kept saying, why now? Why are they finally dealing with this now? I said, I am sorry and I don't have any answers and I'm just there to do what we were told to do. He said sorry for the way that he acted towards me and that he lives next door and sometimes has to chase teens away, just wanting to make sure they weren't there causing trouble. I asked him if he knew the family that lived there. He said again, no one has been in the house in years. He did say something terrible happened in there many years ago. It was tragic and that it has been empty ever since. He looked distressed talking to me in the storm and said he'd better get back home. Our time in the house wasn't that long as it didn't take long to do what we were there for. I did one last walk around the house as my crews were back in the trucks, putting things away and removing their protective gear. I took some more pictures with my camera and looked around for curiosity's sake. The whole entire house was eerie, very creepy, like entering a tomb. Some of the lights didn't work, so some of the rooms I entered were dark, empty spaces that you could see that the carpets, drapes, and remaining furniture that was left behind was old. Not old as in worn out, but old as an old style. I remember seeing some pink dog stuffed animal on the floor next to a lamp. I don't know why that stuffed animal gave me the creeps, but it did. We leave the house and I get back to my office and finish up the paperwork and give everyone and everything to our billing gal, including the film roll. We had a service that would come every other day and collect our film for processing. Now, the strange thing is none of these pictures came out. It wasn't an empty film, but it just looked like something tried to process like blotches, like when Back in the day, you would accidentally leave your film in checked luggage at the airport and it would ruin the film. It was kind of like that. The photos that were taken were blown out and smudged so much that you couldn't really make it out. Luckily, we didn't need the photos for billing, but we couldn't explain what happened. Some people say that maybe the storm ruined the film, but we weren't directly near the thunder It was miles away. We just heard it from the distance. That was the house that no one wanted to enter. And my only guess was the family had finally decided to sell the property after all these years after the murder. Now the final story to today's episode is by the same author. And before we get into this story, I do want to put out another trigger warning. This story is quite graphic and it does cover scenes of suicide. I used to manage a crew and our job was to go after a homicide, suicide, unattended death, accidental death, or any other cases that caused a lot of damage due to some type of incident. Sometimes it was very minimal and other times it was extremely graphic. Most of my stories are about how sad the scene was 
are sometimes just crazy how people manage to get themselves killed. I did this work in the 90s, up until shortly after 9-11. We were usually called in after the investigation was over, so the coroner already removed the bodies, or body. I never really saw the person, but would see photos in the house and knew which one it was. I never really tried to think about all of that. I just tried to think about the task at the hand. I kept my crew very respectful. I never allowed anyone to smoke while on the scene, use bad language, and when we were inside, no music. We would almost whisper to each other. It was hard keeping workers in this kind of job. Some after the first murder scene would just leave the job and never come back. I never blamed anybody and I would never allow a new person just to enter a scene, especially if they never encountered the sights or smells. We all wore PPE or protective gear. It was disposable as some cases you wouldn't want to try to wash that away. Anyways, back to the story. One day we get a call to dispatch to a suicide call. Most of our calls we got for some reason would always happen either late in the day or middle of the night. There must not have been much of an investigation for this scene as the scene was very fresh. We arrive to a lower middle class house in the middle class working neighborhood. The neighborhood must have been built in the 1940s or 50s based on the way the homes looked. My job when we arrive is to get the paperwork sorted before we enter the property. Normally on most scenes, a public agency such as fire department, sheriffs, police or family or family representatives have to sign off for us to enter the property and we do what we need to do. It isn't uncommon for family, friends, or even a neighbor to sign off as a representative due to either the entire household being lost or no one else is available. We just have to have someone with stated authority to sign our paperwork. When we arrive on the scene, there's an older middle-aged woman seated in the garage and you can tell she has been crying, but I sit and talk with her. I usually ask questions like, in the affected room, is there anything of sentimental or monetary value that you would like us to remove and put somewhere safe? Is there anything dangerous left in the room? Usually the PD removes that, but I still like to ask. I also like to ask if there's any soft materials like bedding, curtains, furniture, or etc. that they would like us to keep if we can try and salvage what's been affected. I've always been told that I was very good at talking to people in that kind of situation, so that is why shortly after I started working in the field, I was promoted to supervisor. This lady that I was talking to, well, she didn't seem distraught because of the death of her son, but she seemed frightened. She was visibly shaking and kept looking at the front door. My crew was still in our truck, suiting up. I asked her if she would like to show us the affected area, or we can just enter. She snapped back and said, I'm never stepping foot in that house again, which is understandable due to the fact that her son had just taken the life inside. 
I said, okay, if you can just tell me which room it is. She said it's the first bedroom to the left, just as you enter the hallway. That's when I noticed that she wasn't looking at the front door, but the first window to the left of the front door. I motioned and said, is that the bedroom window there? And she said, yes. She grabbed my hand and said something like, this is going to sound crazy, but there's something evil in that house. I just stood there letting her talk and I did nod my head like I was agreeing with her. She said, I'm never going back into that house again. She said, you don't understand. Something real and something evil is inside that house. I told her that I understood and that if there was anyone she wanted us to call for her, that I would. She said that a friend was going to be there shortly from another city and that was like about an hour away. My crew leader came up and we told her that we were going to get started. We enter the house and it was like a bloodbath inside. A very small pool of blood in the front of the bed and a larger pool of blood on the mattress. I also noticed that looked like a vomit on the mattress. The thing that really stood out was the wall. It was covered in writing. The writing was in blood. The whole house seemed dark and heavy. It was messy, not like a hoarder situation, but they obviously didn't keep it well. As my crew was working on the scene, I went out and talked to the lady and I wanted to make sure it was okay with her to bag up the mattress and dispose of it. When I went outside, she was sitting there facing inside the garage, smoking a cigarette. I asked her if she wanted to salvage the mattress or if we could just dispose of it. She said something like, I wish we could just burn this whole place down. Then she started to tell me about the house. She said it started with her husband. She said that a few years ago, he took his own life inside the house in the master bedroom. She said about a year ago, her oldest son took his life inside the house. And she said she woke up to find him hanging in his room. She said that this house is evil. Evil spirits live inside there and attack you. I sat with her and just said that I am so sorry to hear about all that you've gone through. She said, I don't blame them for leaving me. She went on just saying how the demons are attacking anyone who enters. The thing is, she didn't look crazy or talk crazy. She just looked very worn, tired, and mostly scared. Up to this point, I do have to admit that some scenes are just plain evil. You can feel it. I can't describe it, but if you could ever feel evil, demons, or bad spirits, or whatever you call it, I felt it many times. I felt that inside this house, mostly when I look at the writing on the wall, the guy who killed himself had drank poison, slashed his throat, then took blood from his cuts and wrote on the wall. Now everyone who I shared this story with has asked me what was written on the wall. The truth is, I don't know, I couldn't make sense of it. I did make out some words like, here, the little blue boy, and some other things that I forgot, but it wasn't in another language. I guess it was just bleeding out, and I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. The message you left on the wall covered the entire wall. 
My workers bagged the mattress, cut out the carpet, cut out the drywall, and we were done so quickly that I wasn't even surprised. They wanted to get the hell out of there. As I told the lady that we were completed, she just sat there smoking the cigarette, shaking, and just waiting for her friend to arrive. I felt bad leaving her alone. It wasn't my job or responsibility to sit with her, but I just felt bad. My crew had talked about how fucked up the scene was. I think the writing had got to them. It had gotten to all of us. As we pulled away, I shared that the old lady said to me, and one of my crew members who always wore a cross said he felt like he wasn't welcome in there. I know this isn't a typical ghost story as we didn't see a ghost, but I do think evil spirits drove all the male members of this family to kill themselves. I don't know. I don't think I ever want to find out. All right, everybody, and that is it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all in the next one. Voices Media.